There are many questions about artificial intelligence and the capabilities that could change our lives. As the U.S. heads toward a presidential election this fall, fake news could be especially problematic. At UW-Stout, researchers are putting AI systems to the test, taking a look at AI's ability to determine whether news stories are accurate. Welcome to Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward. Here with us today are two professors from UW-Stout, Dr. Kevin Math Karamanshin and Dr. David Ding. Thank you both so much for being here. We truly appreciate it. So, Kevin, I, I want to start with you. Just introduce yourself. Tell us about your background and and what you know how you got into all of this. Sure. Thanks, Shireen. So, uh, my name is Kevin Math Karamanshin. So as for my background, my background is mainly information technology and computer science. I mainly teach computer programming and computer networking at UW-Stout. I've been teaching networking and mainly other IT and computer science courses for well over a decade now. I'm also a researcher. My research interest lies in, in fake news and now misinformation, disinformation, and all other forms basically of cyber deception. As long as the deception happens in a cyberspace, I'm going to be involved in that research area. Yeah. And you, uh, your latest research explores the intersection of AI and media. What drew you to this particular area? Yeah, sure. So, so basically, we all know that AI has been very much emerging this past few days, this past few times right now. So what what actually piqued my interest is that what actually is the role of AI has been doing when it comes to fake news, to misinformation and disinformation? Is it actually promoting it more? Is it actually being helpful in the in, in the in the side of the information consumers and the listeners? So I literally just explored all of that. So what I actually found out is that AI has been used in many facets of, you know, assessments, for example. AI has been tested if it can be used to, to complete the SAT of students, mm -hmm. the SAT of students for college entrance exams. But what I actually found la lacking and missing right now is that how is AI being used to actually detect or use as, as, as this truth gatekeeper when it comes to deciding if a news article, if news information is actually true or not, that's something that is not missing or that's, that's something that is not currently um, um, found no, in any research or really lacking, visibly lacking. And so that's exactly what I did for my research. I actually examined how effective just AI, if someone is to use it, in guiding someone to decide if the news information is true or if it's not. Mm -hmm. So I actually tested their capability. And what I found out is that compared to your normal, regular uh, person detecting the legitimacy of a news information, AIs, AI actually performs superior to, 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 to your average person, but it's still not yet perfect. David, let's go to you. Now, tell me about yourself and your role and how you got interested in all of this as well. Sure. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's an honor to uh, to be here and share my experience of AI with you and the other audience. My name is David Ding. I'm the Associate Dean for the College of Science, Technology, Engineering, Mathematics, and Management. I also serve as the Director for School of Engineering at UW-Stout. 
and the 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 time I mean the training I got in the AI is I went to a workshop, uh, eight weeks workshop offered by uh, online workshop offered by uh, University of Oxford in two thousand twenty one. Uh, in this workshop, we've learned a lot of things related to AI from the history to the current situation that's in 2021 and the future of AI. Surprisingly, what our instructor told us this could happen in the next five or 10 years, it's actually happened today. So the technology development in AI is much, much faster than people or even scholars uh, anticipated. So that brings the challenge for us as a higher education uh, people. How can we actually utilize this technology to support our community? And how can we utilize this technology to train our future workforce? And I was appointed by the governor to join the governor's task force on workforce and artificial intelligence team uh, with uh, another 30 uh, experts and uh, government officers. Uh, we feel this is a good opportunity as well as a challenge. So we have to move with a, we have to move quickly, but also with a strategic plan utilize this technology. So David, talk about the governor's task force on workforce and artificial intelligence. It's so interesting. Uh, uh, what is the overall mission of that task force and how how were you chosen? Uh, the, the mission we got charged as this committee is to identify the uh, current state of generative AI impact on the Wisconsin's labor market and develop informed uh, predictions regarding its opportunities and impact uh, for the near term and for the future. And also identify how these workforce opportunities and impacts may touch Wisconsin's key industries, occupations, and foundation skill set. And the other charge or outcome for this committee is to explore initiatives and the ones e equity and economic opportunity uh, of this change. And based on these fundings, we want to recommend policy directions and investment related to workforce development and educational system to uh, capitalize basically the uh, AI transformation. So again, how to utilize the technology to help the state and, mm -hmm. and the membership. I, I I actually don't know how I got selected. <laughs> I think it's recommended by uh, by our college, by our university's uh, administrative team. And what I can share is the these uh, task force members are from the University of Wisconsin system, different campuses, and the representative from the. Uh, the Wisconsin Technology uh, Technical College system, and also individuals, members from the state and local government, uh, business communities, education communities, uh, organized labor, the technology industry, and other leaders from impact workforce sections and industries. So it's a pretty wide representative 
for all the uh, agents and sectors related to or task force development. And I, it's really an honor for me to work with these people. I learned a lot from them. Is it a long-term thing that's happening? I mean, will you be meeting for a while yet? or uh... Uh, We start our first meeting at the end of October. Okay. And we're going to continue meet until, I believe, our last meeting currently is scheduled in August 2024. Uh, but we were told... Uh, there is a possibility that uh, this committee will continue meet or in a different uh, format because I do see uh, our government is really committed to this new technology and I'm really uh, pleased and happy that we we will we were able to, we were able to take the opportunity to to grow the state's economics with this new technology. Kevin. Uh... David was mentioning that the the kinds of changes and advancements that we thought were going to happen in five or 10 years are happening already. Why is this happening so rapidly? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, I guess it it's it's all going to if if we're going to trace where it started, I guess it would be it would have to be where chat GPT, open AI's large language model started, you know, for the longest time. Researches this advancement are actually well shielded behind research. You know, your normal consumers will not use or cannot use or appreciate the fact that AI has been advancing so far beyond their usual use cases, the humans, because I mean, AI has been nonstop advancing beyond your typical uh, end consumers. But the moment OpenAI released their large language models, namely chat gpt and your usual average person uh, person has, has started to use it that's when we started to actually realize wait a minute it's actually really happening so fast and this has been happening for a long for a long for a long time now seeing this actually in person really an, a very intelligent agent able to respond and do virtually anything that we are able to we can ask it to do for us mm -hmm. Kevin, does the uh, that rapid advancement uh, make it even more challenging to uh, to control to figure out where best to go with all of this? Is it complicating matters? Definitely, I could say so because there there are some institutions groups that are really not prepared that are really not prepared for the side effects that this this AI advancement has offered or implicated. I mean, we can see in higher education, educators has been really challenged that the, the effects of this and on, on student learning, for instance, there are some institutions right now who are still unsure if they're going to promote or outright block the use of AI in in the classroom or in, in, in your in your usual learning environment. We really are not mostly prepared for for the dawn of this, the dawn of this AI technologies. Mm -hmm. David, what do you think about about this rapid pace and the efforts by some schools to block AI? Can they even do that? How challenging will that be? Uh, this is uh, just my uh, my personal opinion. Uh, I I just feel it's really difficult to isolate from the AI uh, technology. 
for example, uh, uh, OpenAI just uh, published a function called Sora, a software or a function in their chat GTP. It can actually generate a video based on the description you tell the uh, AI package. For example, if I want to tell someone, okay, I was in the Super Bowl game <laughs> uh, on right. February 11th, so I can basically <laughs> type in something like, please create a video that I was in the Super Bowl game and uh, uh, shake hands with some of the players. <laughs> 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 and that, that is definitely something really uh, like a fake, fake mm-hmm. thing. But uh, I mean, just think about the capability that AI can do. I mean, it's going to be really hard for the educators to, you know, actually trying to block that because you're we're talking about uh out power like the, the powerful computing system that never ever happened in the world before right. it's going to be pretty hard but i do feel it's very important for the uh, policy makers to have policies that regulate uh the application of ai uh, so we can uh, just just think about some type of like cybersecurity or uh, other type of concerns or uh, some social some social connection disconnections because of the usage of AI and the uh, <coughs> the the concerns of uh, like equal opportunities because there are some people living in a certain region, they may have a better uh, infrastructure to access some of the AI resources compared to those in the different regions. So this type of policy needs to be in place. You're hearing Dr. David Ding and Dr. Kevin Math Karamanshan, our guest today on Route 51, discussing the power of AI systems and limitations when it comes to news fact checking and more. We'll continue that discussion in just a moment. I'm Shereen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. We're back on Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm Shereen Seward, along with our guests, Dr. David Ding and Dr. Kevin Math Karamanchin. We're talking about the power and limitations of AI, especially crucial during an election year where false news stories can have a significant impact on voters. Kevin, talk a little bit about how AI's fact-checking processes work. In, in other words, how does a computer te- system tell the difference between a fact and a lie? Sure. So the way AI actually fact checks one news article or any other news information is that they have a training data that is actually fed into the agent system, agentic system. It can be chat GPT, it can be BARD or any other AI models out there. And based from that training data, they spit out, they they test out, they evaluate given an input if that input is actually true truthful or it's not and not just it not just binary this ai systems actually have the capability to even evaluate if a given input or a news article is in the middle if if it is partially true or partially false and what i personally love about ai fact checking is that it provides justification and reason why it deemed a news article for example as truthful or not 
-hmm. So you said that uh, the, the AI fact checking is is good, but it's not perfect yet. Um, what needs to happen to uh, to get it to be better at this? To to really root out those fakes. Yeah, sure. So what makes it not perfect, especially in 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 times of uh, of the uh, of the upcoming election, is that the training data that they actually are using are not real time. And it's very difficult to train an AI model to actually have real-time training data. Um, you will have to sacrifice accuracy when you do that. So to actually root out or to make that even better, these tech companies and some are some are also or some are already doing this, are actually pointing out references instead of claiming something or a news article to be truthful or not. For example, if a news uh, if a, if someone will ask. Chat GPT, is this real-time news correct? And they may not have real-time data on the legitimacy of that news article. What they will do is actually they will point out references over the web, give a news article, check this out, check this reference, check this news article. And they themselves, they are not deciding for the user if it's true or not. It is still up to the user to decide what is true and what is not, given these clues, given these references. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. David, do you feel like, do you feel like the, the amount of misinformation that's out there now is much worse than it was four years ago when we were in an election year compared to this year? That is like a, a tough question because uh, I really, I'm not like Kevin and I, I don't really run the verification myself, but I feel the key thing is we have to let uh, our student, our community know the basic fundamentals of digital literacy so they can have their own critical thinking to make the judgment. One example I want to give is uh, I was told for some AI applications, they just need uh, 10 seconds of someone's recorded voice and they can basically uh, simulate this person's voice and then they can let the software or the package to read whatever script uh, they wrote as this person's with this person's voice. So maybe after this interview, there will be a lot of things on the, on the, on the media say, so this is what David Dean said, but that's not actually what I said. <laughs> right, right. So right. That, that, is, that, that is kind of scared. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think the key thing is we have to basically let our community, our students know uh, in this digital uh, world right now, in the digital transformation with new technologies, uh, they have to have the fundamental knowledge uh, about how AI can do, and they have to have the background or the <coughs> capability to 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 use critical thinking to to mm -hmm. basically verify that themselves. So that's more important. Kevin, do you think it's uh, do you think it's harder now to uh, to tell the truth from from fiction? um than it was four years ago i mean i'm just thinking about this as such a such a crucial year going into an election i would i would have to agree on that one because i mean years ago we don't have this ai technologies that that are freely available to the normal user to the normal person 
but now it's widely available and and creating a deceptive content is actually very easy especially using these ai tools and technologies not just not just in the way they frame the deceptive news content or the words but also the form the deep fakes right now compared to the deep fakes year ago are very much hyper realistic and i would have to agree on david and voice cloning it's so easy to copy someone's voice using very limited training data based on their given input i mean seconds even they can totally replicate someone's voice easily and create words out of nowhere based on that training data so aside from the numbers of you know created deceptive news articles persisting around social networking sites their form itself the hyper realistic voices hyper realistic vi video and defects even though there's the, they are deceptive it's really going to be really difficult like really difficult for the average human to actually distinguish that it is not true and not mm -hmm. well let's let's talk a little bit about how to determine what's real online and what is not david do you have some advice on what we should look for that might clue us in that what we're seeing isn't isn't what it seems mm. This is a tough question because I think this falls into our computer science professionals' mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. category. But just think about uh, not only the the message can be fake, but also the verification, the result of verification can be fake as well. Because if someone uh, controls the AI tool, they can just say, "Okay, we have our. Uh, this is one of the verification package we use." And we think this is this message is fake, but this just because they have some motivation don't like that message. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel it's really difficult to basically use technology to outpower uh, the, the the bad people's technology. But the, I, I still feel it falls into the educators and to our people to understand, to make the correct justification. Kevin, what are your thoughts about this? Are there things that we could look for um, that can help us say this might not be real? And and I'm curious too, if you know of any AI tools that we could use to detect misinformation on our own. Sure. Well, first, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I myself have been researching on this subject matter for a long time, but I myself... Can, can also be deceived. And I have been on a number of times be deceived on, on the news article that I'm seeing online. Like I myself am questioning, is this real or is this not? But one tip that I can that I can give to our listeners out there is that always check the source. Always check the source of whoever is posting that content. I mean, don't trust your own judgment. I mean, because if you're going to just trust looking at the content alone, the news article, the video alone, the recording alone, that might and may highly fool you, deceive you. So really check for the source and make sure that it is really authoritative on that subject matter. Okay. Um. That's first. That's what I've been doing now. Is it really verified or is, is it really an official channel of of this of this news agency of this certain authority? That's that's very important. And um, in a way. Since most and, and a number of deceptive content are created using AI, really 
it's wise. It's actually also practical to use AI too to detect, to detect and check if one content is actually real or not. Knowledge language models, I'm going to tell uh, the listeners right now, they are able to accept not just textual data, but they are also able to accept images and other multi-modeled multi-model data to, to verify information, even images or defects. What so about, use AI too. <laughs> yeah. What about um those you know pretty widely available services like Chat GPT? Could you feed something into that and say, can you tell me if this is real or fake? I mean, what happens? Sure. Um, that is certainly possible. And and the beauty about that is that when chat GPT or other large language models give you the, the the judgment based on the legitimacy of, of whatever you'd ask or upload on, on their platform, they give you a justification. They give you the possible reasoning, inconsistency, for example, why or why not they deem that content as legitimate or not. And not just that, they point out references that you can browse yourself over the web and see for yourself, decide for yourself, what do you think? Based on a recommendation, this may be truthful, this may be not, but it ultimately depends to, up to you on, on what your judgment is based on this list of references all over the web. So it sounds like it's a tool that you can use, but you ultimately have to be in control of it as well and do some of the work, right? Exactly. Yeah. David, I want to circle back to the governor's task force on workforce and artificial intelligence. What have you learned so far from the meetings and from the colleagues that you've worked with? Well, I have learned a lot uh, because uh, we every time we meet, uh, there's uh, before we actually go to the discussion <clears throat> session, uh, there are some presentations from experts from some really uh, AI, uh, some people with really strong AI background, uh, their vision uh, about uh, their visions about what AI can do for us, and then their experience about how to apply AI in their organization really helped us to to kind of ignite us some ideas on how we apply that to support our states. And the task force really recognizes that the rise of generative AI has the potential to advance equity and economic opportunity for the people of Wisconsin. Talk about that just a little bit more. Like how can AI systems really strengthen Wisconsin's workforce? Is there is there an application here? Uh <clears throat> there are a lot of applications. Uh just think about uh uh, Oshkosh Corporation, uh, they were able to uh, use the uh, uh, Microsoft uh, Azure to improve their productivity by 18%. And Automotor, where is automated guide vehicle company, they recently acquired by Roku Automation, which is also a Wisconsin company. They use AI to enabling their navigation processes, make it more safe, optimize material flow, and this will reduce the energy consumption and reduce the risk for human uh, working on the same uh, same type of environment. 
And these are some of the applications of AI in our home states to, 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 to help us to gain efficiency. And one of my uh, research interest area is the uh, uh, supply chain reshore. So with the uh, current movement of reshoring our supply chain, uh, we see big companies start bringing back their uh, manufacturing uh, process or manufacturing uh, facilities to the United States. But the problem is they are just, we're just talking about big companies. We're talking about the last several steps in the supply chain. If we're talking about the whole supply chain, the complete supply chain reshore, it really depends on small, medium-sized manufacturers because they are the suppliers for these big companies. And how can we bring this type of uh, supply chain steps back to the United States? Obviously, we, we don't have some advantage, for example, the labor force and uh, the environmental uh, policies. Some countries, they don't have that strong res restrictions or regulations. So what we, what we have is the, the technology advantage like AI and automation. So we got to utilize that to give our uh, small, medium-sized manufacturing the, uh, the competitive advantage so they can complete the whole uh, supply chain reshore, reshoring to, to our home state or to our home country. Has any of this surprised you? I mean, as, as you've moved forward, did you hear anything that made you go, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yes, there are a lot of <laughs> lot of the applications are really uh, impressive, and uh, to be frank, one of the things scared me is we had some students, uh, stout UW stout students in our class. They start applying these AI technologies for their class projects without our actually introduce them to, to the students. So they, they basically learn that themselves and then put them in the project, put them in the capstone design uh, work. And that scares our faculty saying, we have to catch up, otherwise we'll be behind. Our education system needs to be always staying up front uh, to make sure we, we give the students the opportunity to learn these new technologies so they, they can apply this in their future career. Hmm. A lot of considerations there for sure yeah. for educators yeah. too. Yes, for sure. Kevin, I want to ask you too about, about the research. Was there anything that surprised you as you were going through all of this? Yeah, sure. Um, Not more, um, more like surprised me, but more like I'm hoping and expecting in the future of AI when it comes to news fact checking. I expect that they're going to be much better in doing this in this task because i'm sure the tech companies using this ai platforms realized by now that there are consumers who really are referencing who really are depending on their platform to actually distinguish reality from fiction and so we expect them to have more accountability on their part especially when when designing when feeding training data on their platform and what are some of the uh practical applications that your research will have who who can benefit from all of this sure so one 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 group that i think who can benefit from this are your usual average 
um, news news consumer because AI actually gives justification on on its judgment on their judgment on the legitimacy of of news news information and also tech platforms especially social networking platforms there's going to be a lot of deceptive content persisting around social networking platforms and it's just so difficult to weed out what is true and what is not because there's just so much so facebook for example x instagram even they can use these AI technologies as their first line of defense in flagging and tagging if a content is deceptive or not. And then after being flagged, for example, that a content is fake, someone, a human, actually can actually perform a second review. And if it is really, if it's, it is really deceptive and, you know, they can perform their moderation in that content if it's, if it's really proven to be deceptive. So really, really very helpful in terms of its accuracy and speed. AI. You're listening to Dr. Kevin Mathkaramanchin and Dr. David Ding on Route 51, a discussion on their research at UW-Stout on AI systems. I'm Shereen Seward. This is Route 51 on Wisconsin Public Radio. We're back on Route 51. I'm Shereen Seward. Dr. Kevin Mathkaramanchin and Dr. David Ding are with us for the hour discussing ChatGPT and other AI systems and their limitations on Wisconsin Public Radio. Kevin, we talked about, uh, just talked about the, the social media companies and what they're doing. So what precisely are they doing to fight misinformation and could they be doing more? Sure. So right now, what I can tell uh, you is that they're actually, they've already have employed AI as their first line of defense against deceptive content, not just deceptive content, all other content that may that may go against their terms and condi- uh, conditions. And after being flagged, a, a content has been flagged, there's going to be a, a human checker, a human verifier, if you will, um, on the background, really confirming what the AI has detected. So in terms of what they could be doing more, Social networking platforms, first, they could hold or they could perform more more regulation on the accounts, for example, that could be so, uh, that could be um, tagged as one of the sources of deceptive content. Aside, for example, from just simply giving warning, you know, they could perform suspension of accounts, you know, but that could go more depending on the social platforms, terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. How do you think AI-generated misinformation can affect trust in the media? I I feel like we read so many publications, so many stories about the lack of trust in media today. How much of that do you think is connected to AI-generated misinformation, Kevin? Sure. AI-generated misinformation is actually, based on my observation, is actually more deceptive and more dangerous because when you train, when you let AI to actually create actual misinformation, um, it really goes into detail. Like it really omits detail that is going to be missed out by your typical um, average human human consumer. And and the way they create misinformation, AI, it's 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 really very deceptive. You no, know, it's really very deceptive because they really train to do it. 
I mean, at the end of the day, if if you look at it, AI companies, their platforms, are they really, are they really advertised to be as as true gatekeepers? The answer is no. They're actually advertised to actually be virtual assistants. So if we can use AI, if we can use AI to actually uh, help us determine the legitimacy of a news content or news article, it's certainly possible that bad actors are also going to use AI to generate bad content or deceptive information. So yeah, it is certainly possible. David, I'm I'm curious, what are some of the biggest concerns lawmakers have about AI systems? Have you gone over any of that in your governor's task force on workforce and artificial intelligence uh, meetings and discussions? Yeah, we definitely had uh, some discussions regarding to this, but uh, I'm myself, I'm in the uh, uh, education subcommittee. Uh, there are other peoples in the other two subcommittees. One is the Industry Occupation Skills Committee. One is the Equality and Economic Opportunity Committee subcommittees, mm-hmm. and uh, they they actually uh, had more uh, uh, dips and wise discussion in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to add that uh, the uh, state assembly also had an AI task force, uh, multiple AI task force hearings statewide and they they uh, they organized one in UW style on October 30th and in that hearing we talked about uh, uh, the policies and concerns uh, of uh, uh, the, the the policy and concerns to deal with this uh, uh, rapid growth uh, uh, AI technology so that the key thing here again is how to regulate uh, the illegal use of AI and try to minimize the risk, but also maximize the benefits. And how challenging is that for lawmakers? I mean, to find that kind of balance. Uh, I would say it's very challenging. Uh, I don't uh, personally, I, I don't see or read any policies currently by uh, the countries or different countries or in the European countries here and different states that have this uh, fully, uh, you know, covered AI policies. Uh, and I somehow think it's not only like one state or one country, this could be a international type of effort to regulate uh, how to use AI. I mean, the earlier we do that, Uh, the better, the sooner, the better. Kevin, can you talk a little bit about some of the potential harm from AI-generated misinformation, a little bit more about that? I mean, what can it do? Could it rock the stock market? Could it erode our shared sense of reality? Could it really change the results of an election? Sure. Um, It definitely can do all of those things because um, at the end of the day, um, AI companies, and it is certainly possible to actually generate or create your own AI company that actually confirms biases of your own consumer base. So, for example, we have um, we have seen in the past wherein some some um, information consumers they totally boycotted one media company just because they don't agree with with the facts with the information that one media company has been spitting out or has been feeding them. And it, it is certainly possible that that can happen too 
on one AI company, for example, one group or one population may not agree what, what for example, ChatGPT has been claiming as truth, it is certainly possible that they can or they will look at other different AI companies that's going to confirm their biases, for example. And, I mean, as long as you have the consumer base, as long as you have some um, clients who's going to, you know, um, consume that information, it is certainly possible to create an AI agent that's actually based, basing all its training data from inconsistent, deceptive information that has been feeding lies, as long as it can, you know, confirm biases of its consumer. And when that happens, right now, that's one of the biggest fears right now in, in the industry. Eventually, something, an AI, adversarial AI agentic like that can appear somewhat in the future. And there's a demand for it. We, are, we know for sure. Why do you think AI misinformation is so effective and so pervasive? I mean, is it... David, I'm going to ask you this. I mean, is it because there's kind of an emotional appeal or what is it? I, I see because um, s some people are just biased. They, I mean, maybe this is not a good example, but I support my Packers, my Green Bay Packers. So if someone says, okay, they, this is a, a bad call that benefit the Packers, I will argue that uh, uh, this is not uh, a bad call or whatever. So, <laughs> so it's the similar type of situation because uh, like myself, I like to hear what I like to hear. I like to believe what I like to believe. So that, that's, that makes this fake news really dangerous. And Kevin, I want I want to hear your thoughts on that too. I mean, is it because we want to we we gravitate toward things that that tend to um, you know, reinforce our own personal beliefs? Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the powers of AI is to really create personalized content. You know, before AI, um, misinformation, fake news, all of this, they have one standard way of passing their message to the. Uh, to to the broad general information consumers, so you will have you will have some part of the population, some groups who's actually going to be deceived. But when AI arrived using these large language models, it's so fairly quick to first. It's so fairly quick to create false or deceptive content and misinformation. And aside from that, AI can actually tweak. It can actually customize the messages that it creates to actually ignite your emotions more, to make you believe more, depending on your circumstances. That's what makes it more dangerous than your typical, I mean, non-AI standardized misinformation. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. Kevin, you presented your research uh, at, uh, at a forum in Baltimore in November. How was that? Tell us about that experience. Sure, it's it's actually a very fun and very informative experiences. Um, when I presented my my findings to my study, uh, the the experts and the scientists there are actually very much um interested in looking forward to the result because there is really no systematic study that actually evaluated AI when it comes to fact checking. Um, there are already use cases and case studies wherein they evaluated AI if they can if AI can diagnose a disease based on symptoms, if AI can actually pass this IQ test, SAT test, 
but nothing of of nothing of uh, the capability of AI when it comes to you know determining the legitimacy of an information and what makes what makes my the, the information the news information different is that news information is always changing the legitimacy of, of news information one news information that may be deemed fake now eventually you know can be can be true in the future and the other way around and so when i presented this they really looked my audience at that conference they really looked at the possible changes to this when they recreate my study in the future mm -hmm. very good very good David, I want to ask you a little bit about what goes on at UW-Stout. And uh, how is the university incorporating AI technology uh, in the classroom now? And uh, how useful is it? Well, thank you. Uh, UW-Stout as Wisconsin's only polytechnic university. Uh, we've seen this uh, AI impacts, uh, uh, potential AI impact long ago. As I just said, I, I took the AI workshop training in 2021. Well, we actually start uh, try to implement uh, AI in our programs and curriculums uh, in 2022 or even earlier. Uh, we developed uh, a program called Automation Leadership. Uh, so basically, we're trying to uh, combine the uh, the technology and engineering with the leadership and other project management and management skills to try to train the future leader uh, in these digital transformation years. And then we develop courses that uh, not only talking about the technical aspects of AI, but also focus on the application and the social impacts of AI applications. Uh, and we also offer programs to our uh, community and the K-12 schools uh, in the states nearby in the summer camp type of format. So to basically trying to give uh, as wide as possible export what AI technology can do and how it's going to change their life. So to me, AI, or what we believe AI, is not something uh, just for computer science or engineers it has more wide impact for our society. So it, it is very important uh, for us to, you know, let uh, our community and our students and our future students, future generation know that uh, how AI is going to impact uh, their life. Uh, again, how, how to use them in a positive way and benefit yes. our community. Yeah. I, I want to invite you to explain what a polytechnic university is too, because that's such uh, a it's such an interesting term. Uh, the polytechnic university is a hands-on career focused, and we also teach our students to be a socially responsible person for the community. So they again they have the skill set to perform whatever their future employer want in the first day when they got hired. And they also bearing the uh, social responsibilities to make our community better. And also they are the lifelong learner. Uh, if keep adopting new technologies and use it in the positive way. So that's what we believe as a polytechnic university. Thank you. Kevin, I, 
I, I wanted to ask you about a Bloomberg News headline that I that I read recently. It read, will 2024 be the year fake news destroys democracy? What are your what are your thoughts on that? It can be. <laughs> I mean, with all the re hyper realistic, um, not just the number. I'm not just talking about the number of um, hyper deceptive contents out there, but their forms. That's really what I'm concerned about. Their forms, I mean, the deep fake videos now, I mean, I mean, not to brag, but the deep fake videos years ago, I mean, you could you could totally tell from the movements of the mouth of the person, oh, wait a minute, this is a deep, this is deep fake. Sure. But now, but now I'm looking at the deep fakes, the newer deep fakes right now, and it's very difficult to really distinguish that the person that is artificially created is actually distinct from the actual person that they're trying to portray. So and and especially with with the prolific share the, the uh, with the prolific spread of the the in, in the social networking platforms, someone who can just see it, a voter who can just see it, can can suddenly have their their perception swayed mm -hmm. on a, on on some on some you know controversial matter, if you will, and so it can be, it can influence, it can definitely influence the outcome of the upcoming twenty twenty four election. It is very possible if we don't take actions. Well, Kevin, we'll be watching what your next research uh, project shows. And David, will be watching the task force as well to see what comes out of that. Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharif, for having us here. This is Route 51. I'm Shireen Seward, extending a sincere thanks once more to our guests, Dr. David Ding and Dr. Kevin Math Karamanchin. Ezra Wall and Joy Ratch Kramer assisted in producing this program. Thanks to John Altenberg for the Route 51 theme. You can hear the archive of today's program as well as our previous programs at wpr.org slash Route 51 and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Wisconsin Public Radio.